Hey, welcome back to the Simple Kid Men podcast, the podcast where we take the complicated world of children's ministry and guess what we do? We boil it down to the things that matter most. I can see you guys have been listening and paying attention. That's right. And one of the things that matters most in children's ministry is communicating the Bible to kids. But you can't just communicate it any old way. You have to be intentional about it so that you can communicate it in a way that makes sense to a kid and captures their imagination and their hearts with the wonder of God's word so that they'll be transformed and never forget what God's saying to them. Hey, we're wrapping up a three-part series today on storyteller training. And if you haven't got a chance to listen to the last couple, you can go back and hit those. But today we're gonna just wrap it up with 12 tips for success, just a dozen ideas that will help you to take your communicating to the next level. Definitely go back and listen to the last couple episodes on storytelling because those are some really foundational, helpful things. But these 12 things today, we're gonna go through them pretty quickly, but they are things that will really help you to fine-tune your teaching. Hey, by the way, my name is Jason Byerly. I'll be your host today. I'm a children's pastor. I've been working in children's ministry for about 25 years, 23 on staff with the church and did some volunteer work in children's ministry before that. So I am super excited to be here today talking to you guys about my absolute favorite topic in children's ministry, and that's teaching telling the Bible story, communicating. I absolutely love this stuff. So I'm super pumped to be able to share with you today 12 things that I think will really make a big difference for you or storytellers that you're helping to train. Okay, so without further ado, let's jump right in. 12 tips for success as a storyteller. Number one, be prepared. Now, powerful storytelling doesn't happen by accident. Obviously, you can't do any of the things we've talked about in the last couple of episodes if you don't take some time to prepare your lesson. Preparing your lesson ahead of time allows you to be strategic. It allows you to be intentional. It allows you to consider your words, consider how you're going to move on the stage or teaching area, wherever you're teaching. It's going to allow you to have time to bring in props or other things that you would want to use as a part of this lesson or involve other people in the lesson. Being prepared also prepares you spiritually so that you can bring your best to God's word. So I can't say this enough, but just realize that if you're committing to teaching, you're committing to more than just that hour or whatever it is that you are giving on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whenever you're teaching. You're committing to saying, I'm going to put the time in ahead of time in advance to make sure that I'm ready when I step up in front of kids. Okay, number two, don't be a slave to notes. And this comes from great preparation. So it sort of flows out of the first one, but even really prepared people can use their notes as a crutch. Now I get it, memorization is hard for some people. Sometimes you can just feel intimidated like you're gonna lose your place and you need your notes to keep on track. Other people will read the script word for word, but let me tell you, it doesn't matter how good of a storyteller you are. You will never be as good as you could be if you have a script or an outline between you and the kids. You need to be free to, number one, engage the kids who are in the room, to make eye contact, to be able to put your full self into the story that you're communicating to them. And that script or those notes, they're a barrier between you and the kids. It would be better for you to leave something out of your lesson and be able to stay engaged with the kids than it would be for you to stand up there with a script or notes. So whatever you need to do to memorize and be prepared to teach without notes, I'm telling you that will take your 
teaching level through the roof. You will engage kids so much more powerfully if you can just connect directly with them without a lesson or notes in your way. Okay, number three, props. Props are awesome. They're fun. They're interesting. They're engaging. I know some kids are auditory learners and learn primarily by listening. Some kids are kinesthetic learners and learn primarily by doing. But even if visual learning isn't your primary learning style, props are still great because we all use our eyes to engage with the world. So think about things that you can bring in front of the kids with you that will help bring a Bible story to life. And if you're teaching on a scriptural concept that doesn't have an actual story, props are even more important. Think about the scripture you're teaching on. What are the images in there? What are the analogies that you can use and visual things you can bring up to help the kids to engage with their eyes? Use props, they're awesome, they're fun. All right, number four, leverage kids' natural curiosity. This is another creative way to use props to really set the stage for what you're going to be teaching. So here's a couple of examples. One time I was teaching the story of Peter walking on water. So I borrowed a kayak from a friend in the church and they brought it to the teaching area for me, left it there. And so when the kids walked in, there's a big boat up on the stage and they're all freaking out, wanting to know why is there a boat on the stage? What's going on? What's happening? It was so out of the ordinary it engaged their natural curiosity. It set up a little bit of a mystery and they could not wait to find out what was going on with that boat. I was then able to use that boat as I told the story. I got inside it, told the story, and then when it came time for Peter to walk on water, I actually stepped out of the boat like Peter. It was so much more engaging than if I'd just been up on an empty stage. And it was also more engaging because the kids had been wondering about that boat for the past 15 minutes before we actually got started with the story. So think about what could you have set up in advance that would tie into the lesson that the kids would naturally be curious about when they walked into the room. Okay, next, use personal stories to connect with kids. Kids love stories about you, especially stories about when you were their age, partly because I don't think they can actually picture you at their age, and partly because they just relate to it. They know what it's like to be a four-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old or whatever. So tell stories about when you were their age. Use those to build a bridge with kids. You can use them to set up the problem. I, one of the things I love to do is tell kids a story about a time when I did something wrong or I got in trouble or I blew it. And kids are just shocked. There's a great story that I tell from when I was like four years old at my great-grandmother's house and she had this cookie jar and it was this huge caper that my cousin and I pulled off raiding this cookie jar, stealing these cookies out of the cookie jar. And I built it up about how we were so tempted and talked about it and, and finally went in and did it and went and hid and ate the cookies. And the kids are shocked, shocked that I actually went in and stole cookies out of this cookie jar. So it's a great way to set up a Bible story. Tell about something that you did that was wrong or that you got in trouble for as a kid. They love that kind of stuff. You can also use it to illustrate your application. So you can go on the flip side of that and talk about maybe for you a way that God helped you to make the right choice or how God used his word in your life to make a difference when you were a kid. Okay, next, use audience participation with care. I love audience participation. We don't want kids to just be sitting there passively listening to a story and 
tuning us out. So we need to find ways to engage them, give them a chance to participate. And you can do that in all kinds of ways, whether it's bringing kids up on stage and having them help you act out the lesson, or if it's giving every kid in the room something to say or do when you get to a certain part in the lesson. There are all kinds of ways to use audience participation, but be careful with it because what can often happen is if we're not intentional, we can lose the room when we give kids a chance to participate. So here are a few ideas to help you with that. One, pick kids ahead of time. So many times you lose time in your lesson by having to stop and pick kids to bring up on stage. Choose them ahead of time. Maybe give them a sticker so that you can say, hey, if I gave you a sticker earlier, I want you to come up here on stage and they know exactly who it is you're talking about. And also it allows you to be a little more intentional about choosing kids who won't derail your lesson. Also under this category, don't ask questions of the audience that will open you up to hecklers. For example, don't ever, ever ask kids if they want to hear a story. Who's ready for a story today? Because see, what you do when you say that is you're basically just opening yourself up to one smarty pants in the room who says, not me, no, boo, whatever. And it just sucks the fun right out of the room and it gives them the attention. And you want the attention to be on you as you deliver the story. Okay, number seven, use sticky phrases when you're teaching. You can use sticky phrases to help kids remember the Bible truth that you're trying to communicate. And you can also use it to bring them back to you if they start to get a little squirrely. Okay, here's an example. One time I was teaching on the power of words and how we are all tempted sometimes to say things that we really need to bring under God's control. And so my challenge for kids was when they are tempted to say something they shouldn't to catch it, zip it, and flip it. So catch that word before it comes out of your mouth. Zip your lips. Don't say anything. And then think about how you can flip that thing you were going to say into something positive. So I had the kids do a hand motion with that. I taught them that early on in the lesson. Catch it, zip it, flip it. And then when it came time for the application, they were right there ready to repeat that with me over and over again as I gave them different examples of how they could catch it, zip it, and flip it when they were tempted to use words in a destructive way. Also, if you teach kids a really catchy phrase like catch it, zip it, flip it early on in the lesson, then if they're starting to get squirrely, you can bust that out at some point while you're teaching. And then suddenly they're all saying that and doing those actions with you. And it brings them back to focus on you and the lesson. Okay, the next one, and this is a huge one, use kid-friendly words and illustrations. Every time you're preparing a lesson to teach, just use the kid filter as you're going through it. Ask yourself, how will these words sound to a first grader or a four-year-old or a fifth grader, whoever you're teaching? Look for big words or churchy words or just concepts that might be confusing to the age group you're teaching and think about how you can boil it down to its essence and explain it in a simple way. Now, this isn't watering down the lesson. This isn't dumbing it down at all. No, you're boiling it down to its essence. And actually what that's making you is just a much more precise and effective speaker. So don't use big churchy words. My most memorable example of this is when I first started out in children's ministry, I was at this uh, smaller rural church and it was part of their tradition that they would have someone 
from the adult service bring communion in and serve kids every week. But I wasn't the one to explain communion to kids. It would be this person who was used to explaining it to adults. And so they would kind of come in and do what we would call in old school circles, a communion meditation and try to explain this to kids. But there was one guy in particular who just did a terrible job at it. He would talk about partaking of the emblems. And I'm like, what does that mean in the mind of a kid? So it was just one of those early lessons in children's ministry for me to be mindful of the words I use. Sometimes as adults, we just talk and we use words sometimes without thinking. But when we're talking to kids, we have to be super intentional. So we really make sure that they understand what we're saying. Because if they don't understand you, a couple of things might happen. One is they might call you out in the middle of the lesson and ask you what you mean, which is cool, but also distracting. The other thing that is probably more likely to happen, though, is that they'll just get bored and tune you out. And we don't want that to happen. So think about the words that you're using. Think about concepts that might be difficult for a child to understand. And how do you boil it down? Not water it down, not dumb it down, but boil it down, laser focus it to the essence of what it means to explain it to kids. Okay, the next one is make every second count. Now, this can be really hard if you're not prepared, especially. You want your lesson to move intentionally from one beat to the next. You want to keep it moving and don't ramble. So many times when we're not prepared or confident, we will try to say the same thing a million different ways in the hopes that if we talk long enough, eventually the kids will get it. So often what we need to do is just keep it moving and get to the end. You want, don't want to waste time with small talk up on stage or in a classroom in front of kids. You want to be very intentional so that every word that you speak once you're up teaching either prepares them for the Bible truth for the day or wraps up and applies the Bible truth for the day. Every word should count. Don't waste any words because you really don't have that much time in front of kids to talk to them about God's word. Now, sometimes it may not be obvious how that ties into the lesson until later on in the lesson. So you may start with a fun game or you may start with asking them a silly question, but you're only doing that to help you to build a bridge to get to the Bible truth for the day. Okay, next tip for success that goes along with that, less is more. Just know when to stop. Sometimes the best thing you can do with a lesson is cut something from it, keep it short. It is absolutely painful like nails on a chalkboard to watch a teacher who really has nothing left to say just go on and on and on and on and on. It's one of the most painful experiences of my life as somebody who loves to communicate. You know, sometimes you just need to stop. There are days for all of us when the lesson just isn't working out. And the last thing the kids need from us is more of that lesson. We just need to stop and put that lesson out of its misery, wrap it up, be done, let it be over, don't drag it on and on. And if you're in a church that does large group, small group, the small group leaders make it cheated out of time if you aren't disciplined to keep control of your time as a communicator. Okay, the next tip is to rehearse with anyone else involved in the program. If you have someone who is cueing tech cues in your room, slides or sound effects or lights or anything like that, you definitely need to rehearse with them ahead of time. If you are part of a program that also involves worship or other elements, you need to rehearse with those people so that you know when you're up in front of kids and when they're up in front of kids and how you're going to transition from one thing to the next. So one thing that I've noticed in programs that involve worship or games or other elements in multiple people, so often those individual elements can be really successful 
but if there are bad transitions between the two, then you can lose a kid's attention and it's really tough to get it back once you've done that. Okay, finally, last tip to set you up to succeed in front of kids, and this is really the most important one, be available to God. For those of us who are communicating the Bible story, we have a unique opportunity that small group leaders or other leaders who work with individual groups of kids don't have. Kids relate to us just because we're the person who's up front and they feel like they know us because we're that fun person who's teaching or on stage or leading a game. And also if you're not leading a small group after your lesson, you are freed up to focus on an individual kid who may otherwise be overlooked because you're not bogged down with leading a whole group of kids. You're free to focus on a kid that might fall through the cracks. Now there's a really cool story that I got to be a part of that I'll never forget that perfectly illustrates this principle of being available to God when you're teaching. This was back when our church did Saturday night services and my friend Adrian, who is just an incredible communicator, she's one of my favorite people to watch teach. She was delivering the Bible story that day to a group of third to fifth graders in our upper elementary environment. We can still remember watching her communicate the salvation story with an energy and skill that few teachers possess. Even the fifth grade boys were engaged and we all know how hard that can be. She really is the best of the best. But Adrian did something that night that reminded me of why she is one of my all-time favorite children's leaders and it has nothing to do with her teaching skills. I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but when you hear this story, you'll understand. So during this Saturday night service, Adrian noticed a girl who happened to be visiting from out of state. This girl's grandmother had brought her to church and she obviously wasn't connected yet. Adrian told me that whole night that while she was teaching, she just felt drawn to this girl for some reason. And after she finished her lesson, she hopped in her car, headed for home, while the program was still going on, she was done with her part, and now the small group leaders were leading kids. But little did Adrian know that God was not done with her yet. All the way home, God kept bringing that little girl to her mind. And the farther she drove, the more she was convinced that she needed to talk to her. So she got home, turned around, headed back to the church, not even sure if she was going to be able to find this girl. So Adrian asked God what he wanted her to tell the girl, and he reminded her of a Bible study she'd done earlier in the day about being God's masterpiece creation. Tell her that, God said. And the girl, of course, was still there when Adrian arrived, and Adrian sat down with her and struck up a conversation. Eventually, Adrian told her, hey, I was reading something really cool in my Bible today. You want to hear it? Sure, the girl said. Then Adrian began to talk to her about the truth of who God made her to be, that she is precious to him, a work of art, no matter how she may feel about herself day to day. That girl connected with what Adrian was saying, and God used Adrian to deposit truth in this girl's heart that will bear fruit that we cannot even imagine. Now, Adrian teaches several hundred kids every time she's on. I love that she paid enough attention to God to zero in on this one kid who needed an extra touch, one kid who could easily get lost in a crowd that's that big. I also love that she was obedient to the prompting that urged her to turn around. It was obvious God had something to say to that girl Saturday night. Without Adrian there, who else would have said it? Now, after talking with Adrian after the service that night, it struck me that those of us who are up in front of the kids have a unique opportunity that our small group leaders don't. We don't have a group of 10 to 20 kids to keep up with after the large group program. We're free to notice and make a one-on-one -on -one touch that no one else can make. And for you, maybe you're not a large group teacher. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher and you kind of do a little bit of everything. But when you're up in front of the kids, pay attention to who is really connecting with your teaching. Pay attention to someone that God may be pointing out to you who needs an extra touch. And that's really my challenge for each of you. 
Ask God to help you to see your ministry beyond what happens in the lesson. Pray for God to show you which kids need to hear the truth you're bringing to the room. Keep your eyes open and just see who you feel drawn to. Follow Adrian's cue and obey God's prompting. If you feel a nudge in your spirit, don't be shy. Go for it and share what God has given you with this child. It may change their life. I love leaders like Adrian who make themselves available to God's purposes. I know that if it were my daughter sitting in children's ministry, how incredibly thankful that I would be that a leader cared enough about her to turn around and bring her the truth that God wanted her to hear. So paying attention and obeying, listening to God, doing what he says. I mean, that is what ministry is all about. And we can bring all of the creative teaching skills we want to the table each time we get up in front of kids. But if we're not really paying attention to how the Holy Spirit is leading us in that lesson, then we're really going to miss out on God's best for our teaching moment. And that's why I'm also so passionate about being freed up from your notes and being prepared. Because the more you're prepared, the more you're able to pay attention even as you're teaching and go with wherever God leads you because you're not thinking about what you have to say next. You've, you've prepared for that. You know exactly where the lesson is going. Okay, those are your 12 tips for success. I know they're a little random, but this is sort of my catch-all episode that I wanted to get some of those things in. And honestly, each of those 12 tips, I could spend a long time unpacking each one of those to really talk about specifics of how to put those into action. And I'm hoping over the next year that I'll be able to develop either a book project or an online class that would allow you to develop these ideas further. But for now, I just wanted to give you the basics and let you play around with those. And because... I love you guys so much. I'm actually going to give you one bonus one. You can consider this a baker's dozen, I guess. So tip number 13, make sure you structure your lesson in a way that engages kids and leads them to a powerful truth. How do you do that? Well, we don't have time to talk about all that right now, but if you go over to my blog, simplekidmen.com, there is a free ebook I created a while back called Anatomy of a Perfect Bible Lesson. So if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get that ebook for free. And in that ebook, I go into a lot of detail about a framework that you can kind of lay over every lesson you teach that will help you to win with kids. I mean, this is a great formula. I don't always teach using this framework, but I'll tell you what, every one of my best, most effective lessons have used this structure. And if you go over and get that anatomy of a perfect Bible lesson, you can try it out for yourself. Well, that about wraps it up, friends. Today's simple takeaway is give teaching your very best. And that's inspired by our Bible verse, Colossians 3, 23 to 24 in the NIV that says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And that's really inspiring and encouraging to me because to be honest, effective teaching is hard work, but it is so worth it because we are bringing the very word of God to life in the hearts and minds of kids. And that is going to pay off not just for years to come, but for eternity. So it is worth our best time, our best effort, our best creativity, because this is God's word we're talking about. We're not just doing this to fill time in children's ministry. We're doing this so kids can know Jesus and follow after him and have the best life possible as followers of Christ. We don't want anything to get in their way of becoming the disciples that God's called them to be. And that starts with a really clear understanding of the Bible 
And the great news is we have the privilege and the opportunity to be the ones who bring this good news to God's favorites, kids. God loves kids. He adores kids. And we have the privilege of connecting kids and God through his word every time we teach. So it is worth our best effort. It's worth our best energy. Try some of those 12 tips the next time you teach. Just try one of them and see what a difference it makes in the response that you get from the kids you're trying to teach. Thank you for being a storyteller or a teacher or a large group communicator. Thank you for training other storytellers and teachers and large group communicators because the next generation of faith is depending on great teachers who can help kids to truly understand God's word for themselves. All right, that wraps it up today, guys. Thanks for sticking with me for this three-part series. If you have any questions about those 12 tips, feel free to email me at jason at simplekidmen.com. I hope you have an absolutely phenomenal week teaching God's kids, thinking about the Bible, thinking about how you can be the most effective communicator possible to the kids in your ministry. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next time on Simple Kidmen. Kid,